Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast, a podcast recorded at LifeGate Church in Burleson, Texas. We hope you enjoy the talk, and be sure to stick around for more at the end. continuing this series this morning called Restore My Soul. What we've been doing is we've been looking at this very famous, very beautiful passage of scripture in Psalm 23, and we've been asking the Lord to restore our souls. And let's begin this morning as we have every week of this series by reading aloud together the 23rd Psalm. It's on the screen or in your notes, or maybe you brought your Bible this morning. I want you to read it aloud with me today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my, house, of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, what beautiful words. What beautiful poetry that we find. The Lord is our shepherd. And as we have studied through this incredible chapter of Scripture over this last few weeks, man, we have learned that if we will trust the Lord to be our shepherd, that we will not be in want, that he can bring... a deep contentment into our souls. We have learned that no thing on this earth, no person, no relationship, no vacation, no amount of money, nothing else can bring true contentment into our souls except for a relationship with the shepherd, that he is our shepherd. Then when he is our shepherd, we shall not be in want. We've learned that when God is our shepherd, that we can have a true rest, a true soul rest, that it's not just a rest for our bodies, but it's a rest deep down, a peace deep down in our souls. Last week, we learned that if we will follow the shepherd, that he will lead us and he will guide us along the right path. Everybody say right path. And we know there's a right path and a wrong path. And if we will follow him, he will lead us along the right path. Now this morning we come down through this passage a little bit more and we find that David says something a little bit kind of disturbing actually. As you read it, I mean you read this and there's, there's just kind of this peacefulness that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. That he makes me lie down in green pastures and he restores my soul. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He gives me the path of righteousness. And I mean all these like really good stuff. It's like oh that just sounds so good and it's so peaceful and it's so kind and so nice and then all of a sudden we we come across something that is a little bit disturbing actually he says he says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I like what one translation says even though I walk through some dark valleys everybody say dark valleys 
How many of you have ever been through some dark valleys before in your life? Some of you, maybe you're here this morning and maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're going through some dark valleys in your life. And maybe even you've questioned a little bit. Maybe you've even thought, well, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd and I'm trying to follow the right path. And I'm trying to find soul rest. And I'm trying to find contentment in Him and Him alone. But I still find myself in a dark valley. Maybe you're going through some struggles in your life. Maybe it's something in your marriage or something in a relationship. Maybe it's something financially or physically or something at work and you're going through some problems and some struggles and some trials, some difficulties in your life, or maybe even right now, things are, things are pretty good on the exterior, but something's happening like deep down inside and maybe in your emotions or maybe down in your soul, you just find yourself in a dark place, in a dark valley. Maybe there's some discouragement that has set in, maybe even some depression that has found its way into your souls. In fact, that's, the, that's where so many people are today. Statistics tell us that an estimated one out of every 10 Americans will deal with some sort of depression in their lives. 40 million adults, that's 18% of all the adult American population will deal with some kind of anxiety or some kind of depression or some kind of emotional, emotional fear that they deal with in their lives. And maybe you're here today and maybe you find yourself in a dark valley. And the truth is today that there will be some dark valleys in life. I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you that if you just follow the shepherd, that everything will be good, everything will be a bed of roses, it'll always be sunshine, and it'll always be, uh, always be great days, and you'll always be happy and joyful, and you'll never have any struggles or any dark places in your life. But that's simply not true. The fact is that even when you follow the shepherd, even when he is the shepherd of your life, sometimes you're still going to have to go through some dark times in your life. I know that's not very encouraging. Some of you are saying, Pastor, I think you just need to be a little bit more positive today. Well, I'm positive you will have some dark valleys in your life. It's true. I mean, you're going to experience it. You're going to have some problems, even if you're following the right path. In fact, we see it right here in this, in this beautiful passage of Scripture that, that the sheep is following the shepherd on the path of righteousness, on the right path. But the very next verse, after it says that I'm following him along the right path, we find that I'm going through a dark valley. Kind of reminds me of the disciples. I don't know if you might remember the story how Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat. He said, you're going to go to the other side and they get into the boat, and as they get into the boat, and they get out onto, onto the sea, onto the water, they experience some, some storms, they experience some turbulence, they experience some wind and some waves, and it was Jesus that had told them to get on the boat. They had done what Jesus told them to do, and yet they still experience the storm. The truth is that Jesus never promised us that life would be easy. That if we'd follow him, everything would go smooth and there would be no problems. In fact, he actually promised us the opposite. He said, in this world, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have dark days. You're going to have valleys. You're going to go through some struggles in your life. In fact, as you read through the scripture, you will find that people who followed God, you don't see that their lives were just perfect and they never had any struggles. 
In fact, you see, some of the greatest men and women of God dealt with some of the deepest, darkest valleys, some of the deepest, most difficult struggles. Some of even the greatest men of God dealt with discouragement, anxiety, even depression. In fact, we, we find it in, I think, one of the greatest men of God throughout all of the scripture, a guy by the name of Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. How many remember Elijah's story? Maybe you remember his story a little bit. Man, what a powerful man of God, a man of great faith, a man that was a prophet of God that God used in so many, in so many fantastic ways. I mean, you just read his story in the book of 1 Kings and you see all the different things that God did through this man. I mean, Elijah said it's not going to rain and it didn't rain. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And then after three and a half years of drought and no rain, Elijah prayed and God sent the rain. I mean, you talk about power. Stuff You see Elijah standing on Mount, on Mount Carmel facing the prophets of Baal in a, in a one-on-one uh, kind of confrontation and how he puts the, fi- puts the sacrifice on the altar and they put buckets of water on the altar and, and Elijah prays and he calls down fire from heaven and all of a sudden whoosh, fire comes down from heaven. I'm talking about pretty bad dude, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, this guy was a man of God, a prophet, a guy that was full of faith. And yet we see this guy who called down fire from heaven, who prayed, and it, and it rained after it hadn't rained in three and a half years. And now we find in 1 Kings chapter 19, this same guy having himself a little pity party. How many ever had a pity party before? Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just going to stay in bed, pull the covers up over my head, watch soap operas, turn on the country music, and we're just all going to feel sorry for ourselves. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on, right? Elijah, man, he's having himself a pity party. He's going through a dark valley. He's just come off of this high mountaintop experience, and now we find him going through a deep, dark valley. In 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 3, look what it says. It says, Elisha was afraid. Everybody say afraid. Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life, and he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went all alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already lived. I'm talking about Elijah is going through a dark valley. In fact, he's so discouraged, he's so down, he's so depressed that he just says, I'd be better off dead. I mean, here's a guy who just had faith. I mean, he just comes down from the mountain, and now he's in the valley, and he's so depressed. He's in such a dark place, such a dark valley, that he pretty much has suicidal thoughts. I'm ready to just lay here and die. Some of you, maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you find yourself in the same boat kind of as Elijah. Maybe you've even experienced those, those spiritual highs, those times when you just leave church and you're just up here and you're just so full of faith and you're just ready to go, you know, take on hell with a water pistol, you know. I mean, you are, you're full of faith and ready to go. And then you come down from the high and you find yourself in the middle of the dark valley. And it's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. And you find yourself in a place where you're discouraged, maybe even depressed, in a dark place in a dark valley. And I want to talk about that for a little bit today. I want to talk about the dark valleys. I want to talk about 
what it is that causes us to get into these dark valleys as we look at Elijah's life. And then I want to look back at the Psalm 23 and I want to, I want to look at what do we do when we find ourselves in a dark valley. If you're taking notes this morning, just a couple of things today I want you to write down. How to get depressed, all right? We're going to teach you how to get depressed this morning. We're going to look at Elijah. First thing you do if you want to get depressed, first thing that you got to do is you got to wear yourself out. Everybody say wear yourself out. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what, here's what Elijah did, all right? How did Elijah go from being a man of great faith and power to being a man sitting under a tree feeling sorry for himself, ready to basically take his own life? How did he get so depressed? Well, if you look at his life, you look back at First Kings and you look at the chapters leading up to chapter number 19, you will see that this was a busy man. You will see that this guy was running around doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, this guy was a guy who was believing God for big things. He was fighting one spiritual battle after another. I mean, he would pray and he would seek God and he would believe God for miracles, for things that were impossible and then God would come through and do those miracles and then he would begin to pray and believe God for another miracle and he would begin to seek God and he would begin to trust God for the impossible and God would do the impossible and then again he would pray and seek God and trust God for the impossible and God would do the impossible and over and over and over and over you see this spiritual battle that Elijah is facing and not only the spiritual battle but you just look at even his even his physical battle you look at at how he was worn out physically i mean if you study that you will see that elijah started way way up at the northern tip of of the province or the place of israel and that throughout this time he made his way all the way down to the very southern tip all the way down as far as he could possibly go all the way out he ran all the way down there out into the wilderness i mean this guy was emotionally spiritually physically completely exhausted and some of you that's exactly where you find yourself this morning you are running yourself ragged you're wearing yourself thin I mean you're taking kids to ball games and to band practice and you're working two jobs just trying to make ends meet and you're making sure that all the laundry is done and the and they're folded up and you're making sure the dishes are all done we got to make sure the house is all perfect at all times and you're taking classes at school trying to work on your degree and you're committed to things on the PTA and at school and at church and you're and you you look at your life and you go, why am I so depressed? And it's because you're worn out. You're overcommitted and you're going here and there and doing this and doing that and all these things that you think you just have to do and you wear yourself out to the place of exhaustion and then you wonder, why do I feel discouraged? Why do I feel depressed? And maybe it's not even just physical. Maybe it's, maybe it's even emotional. Like you wear around this, this like I'm wearing a, an S on my chest and I have to do everything and take care of everybody. And I have to make sure that my kids are all all right. And I got to make sure that my spouse is okay. And I got to keep control over all the situations and all the things that are going on. And I've got I've to make sure that everything and everybody is just right. Because after all, I'm the one in charge of all this stuff going on in the universe today and I got to take care of it all and make sure that it all is going to happen the way that it needs to happen and you carry that around everywhere that you go and you're good for a while but then you wake up one day and you can't hardly get up out of bed emotionally you're exhausted physically you're exhausted how, how do you get depressed just wear yourself out how do you get depressed number two write this down 
shut other people out. Look what Elijah does. Check this out. In verse number 3, it says, He left his servant there, and he went on alone into the wilderness. Look at that. That's important. He left his servant there. This trusted servant, this one that had been with him throughout this whole ordeal, this one that was there when Elijah prayed and it didn't rain, and so he prayed again. He put his head between his legs and he prayed again, and he sent his servant out and said, Go and look and see if there's any clouds or anything. And seven times it was his servant that was the one that was there with him, standing with him, praying with him. This was his, this was his faithful, trusted friend that was with him. But Elijah said, Hey, why don't you stay here, and I'm going to go off all alone by myself. And isn't that what we do in those dark valleys so many times? Isn't that where we, where, where we go whenever we, when we get into those times where we're discouraged so many times? It's like we shut everybody else out. It's like we isolate ourselves. And I just want to be all by myself. And I don't want to get out of bed because I don't want to see anybody. And I just want to kind of do my own thing and hang here by myself. And the truth is that a pity party has a really short guest list. Party of one, please. Because we want to be by ourselves when we're discouraged and when we're depressed. And the more we get alone, the more depressed and the more discouraged and the more down we get. How do you get depressed? You shut everybody else out. Isolate yourself. Spend time alone. Number three, how do you get depressed? Just stress out. Everybody say stress out. How do you get depressed? Here's what happens. Is that when you're discouraged, when you're down, when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when nobody else is around, here's what happens. Is that we begin to stress out about things that normally wouldn't stress us out. Have you, have you ever experienced that before? Like when you're down, when you're in the dark valley... What tends to happen is that things that really probably, if you were on the mountaintop, wouldn't even bother you. No big deal. But when you're in the valley, right, you know what I'm saying? Like even little stuff, you just stress out about little stuff. Like you make a bigger deal out of everything. That's what, that's what discouragement does. That's what depression does. It exaggerates. Everybody say exaggerates. That's what it does. It exaggerates, exaggerates things. Things that really weren't that big a deal, they become a huge deal when you're down in the dark valley. That's exactly what happened for Elijah. I mean, he'd just come off the mountaintop. If on the mountaintop he would have found that Queen Jezebel wanted to kill him, he didn't care because he already knew she wanted to kill him, and it wasn't no big deal, right? But when he comes down from the mountaintop into the, into the valley time, when he's in that dark place, he hears that Queen Jezebel wants to have his head, and he's freaking out. Like, I might as well just die now. Look what he says in verse number five. He says, I've had enough. I can't handle it no more. Anybody ever said that before? Like, enough is enough. You just need to leave mama alone. Everybody just go and leave me. I'm here by myself. I don't want to hear no more crying. I don't want to hear no more screaming. I don't want to hear no more arguing. I don't want to change no more dirty diapers. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on. Like, enough is enough, right? That's what he's like. It's enough. I can't handle it anymore. In fact, if you read on a little bit in 1 Kings chapter 19, in verse number 10, he exaggerates this thing and blows it so far out of proportion. He says to God, God, I'm the only one left. Come on, anybody ever experienced this before? Like, I'm the only one that's ever felt this way before. I'm the only one that's ever been discouraged before. I'm the only one that's ever had to change 10 diapers in a day. I'm the only one ever, right? I'm the only one left who still is serving and following you. Now, isn't that the dumbest statement you ever heard in your life? 
And God goes, I mean, obviously it's not true. God goes, wait a second, son, let me tell you something. There's still 7,000 others who have not yet bowed their knee to Baal. And he exaggerates. He blows out of the proportion. He stresses out over this thing. And, and here's the thing is when you're in the dark valley, things that, that seem to be real, they're not really real, but they seem to be real because everything is exaggerated down in the dark valley. And, we, and we, start to, we start to stress out about little stuff that we wouldn't stress out about. And we start to use words like, words like this, words like always, words like, Never, right? Like, I'm always going to be this way, and I'm never going to be any good. Like, I'm always going to, you know, things are never going to get better, and I'm always going to be bad. I'm never going to get the promotion. I'm always going to be on the low rung on the ladder. Always and never, always and never, always and never. How many know what I'm talking about? Let me just let you in on a little help, a little secret here today. Nothing is ever, always, or never. In fact, y'all should quote that. Tweet that out. That's pretty good. Hashtag good preaching there this morning. (laughs) Nothing is ever, always, or never. When we're in the discouraged times, when we're in the the dark valleys, it's like, it's always going to be this. My my marriage is never going to be any better. My life is always going to be a mess. It's always going to be dark and rainy and gloomy outside. The sun is never going to shine again. And we know that's not true. But in the valley, it seems true. And in, in the dark valley, see, that's the reason it's called the dark valley is because it's dark. And so when it's dark, what happens? You can't see things clearly. So when you're in the dark valley, the little thing that seems that, that if you were on the mountain and the sun was shining, it wouldn't be no big deal. You'd just be like, hey, God's going to take care of that. But when you're in that discouraged place... When you're in that dark valley, that little bitty thing that, see, that, that wouldn't normally be little, wouldn't normally be big, it becomes huge. It's where the shadows are. How many know what a shadow does? It takes something that's little, and, you, and, and the shadow makes it look so much bigger and scarier. We stress out, we worry, and we blow things out of proportion. So how do, how do we get through this time? What do we do when we find ourselves... In the middle of the dark valleys in our life. Well, I think this is what David is really kind of talking about here in Psalm 23. And I think he gives us really, I think he gives us some really practical stuff here. And I want to just look at it today. If you're taking notes, write these things down. What do you do when you find yourself in the dark valley? The first thing you got to do is you just got to remind your soul. Come on, everybody say remind your soul. Remember we talked about, hey, I'm not, just a, I'm not a body with a soul. I'm a soul with a body. So here's what we're talking about. We're talking about our souls. So we're going to remind our soul. We're going to remind ourselves what God has done. In fact, that was the problem for Elijah, that when Elijah got into the dark valley, here's what Elijah did. Elijah forgot what God had done. I mean, think about it. You just read. Go back. I, I challenge you to go back to, to today or later this week and just read in the first, in First Kings chapter seventeen, chapter chapter eighteen. Just read some of the things that God had done. I mean, Elijah didn't have anything to eat, and so he brought ravens to feed him, and he put him beside a brook that he would have water to drink. God provided for him when he didn't have anything. And then when the ravens left and the brook dried up, God said to Elijah, "Go over here to this town, and there will be a widow there, and the widow's going to." 
would give you something to eat. And he goes over there and the widow says, I ain't got nothing. I just got enough for one meal for me and my son and then we're going to die. And Elijah said, well, feed me anyway. Sounds like a preacher, right? Like, just feed me anyway. And so she feeds him anyway. And then every time they went back to get the meal for the, you know, the oil and the meal, there was more that was left there. God provided for for him over and over and over. We already talked about it, that he said it's not going to rain. It rained for three and a half years. Then he prays seven times that it's going to rain. God sends an abundant rain. I mean, like a gully washer downflow of rain. He brings down fire from heaven. I mean, you can see one time after another that God had provided for Elijah and that God had taken care of him over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And now we find Elijah sitting in, in the valley, sitting under a tree, pouting, having a little pity party. And the problem is that he had forgotten. He had forgotten what God had done. And here's what we do sometimes. We get into the, the, the dark valleys. We get into the discouragement or the depression. And here's the problem. We forget about what God has already done for us. We see the circumstance and the situation that is going on around us right now. But we forget about all the times up to that point when God has provided for us and how God has brought us to where we are right now. So what do you do when you find yourself in the dark valley? You have to remind your soul. And here's what you got to do. You got to preach to yourself. All right? I mean, some of, my, some of my best sermons, all right? I know you think my sermons are good, and they're pretty good. I just got to say, I'm just messing. But some of my best sermons are the ones that you never hear. They're the ones I preach to myself. In fact, sometimes I just preach to myself. I preach so good that I just get my preacher voice going on. I know what I'm talking about. Come on. Like, I mean, I even say amen to myself, laughing my own jokes. Come on. Sometimes I laugh and say amen better than y'all do, you know. I start reminding myself. I start preaching to myself. Man, remember that time? Remember that time when we moved to Burleson and we didn't even know a single soul? But you began to put people into our lives. In fact, we moved right across the street from some people who came, started helping us to start the church. And we went and preached in another church. Another family came and said, we want to be a part of the church. Remember that? We moved here and we didn't know how we were going to make it or how we were going to financially make it. But you began to provide that one day. We went and preached that one church and they gave us $5,000 and they said, We'll support you $1,000 a month for the next 12 months. You remember that time? You remember that time when we didn't have anywhere? We didn't have anywhere to meet and we were just so discouraged. And you were driving down the road and tears coming down your eyes because you checked off everything off the list and didn't know where you were going to have church. And then a few weeks later, you get a phone call from a pastor who says, Hey, we got a church building over here and we don't owe very much on it. And we'd like to give it to you. If you'll just take up the $30,000 they owe, you can have the building. Hey, you remember that time? Hey, you remember that time, you know, when, when you felt like that, uh, that you were supposed to give money back to the congregation and send, it out, send them out with it so that they could be a blessing into the community? So you took the offering and you put it into $5 bills and $10 bills and $20 bills and put it in envelopes and gave it to the people in the church and said, go out and bless the community. And then you remember how just about a couple of weeks after that, it was time for Christmas bonuses and you looked at the finances and thought, I don't know how we're going to do it. And God, didn't we just give the money away and do do what you thought, do what you said we were supposed to do, and weren't we obedient to you? And now we don't have money to pay our staff for the Christmas bonuses that are coming out. And you remember how the next day someone walked in from Chesapeake uh, Gas Company and handed you a royalty check for $13,000? You remember that time? Hey you, hey, you remember that back then whenever you thought the church was going to fall apart because on one dark valley day you lost your youth pastor, your children's pastor, and your worship pastor all at the same time? 
You thought it was over and it was done. You thought you was not going to make it through, but you see what I've done. Hey, you remember that? You remember when you thought, you know, I know we're supposed to do a building project, but we don't have the money, and I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, that same company, Chesapeake, all of a sudden one day you go to the mailbox and there's a check there for $41,000. And then a couple of days later, there's another check from a lady in the church for $30,000. Hey, you remember that? Why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? Put your hope in God. You've got to remember what God has done. You've got, to, you've got to remind your soul. You've got to preach to yourself. In fact, that's what the Bible is talking about in Jude. Look what it says in Jude 1 and verse 20. It says, but you. Everybody say, but you. But you, dear friends. Look what it says. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. It doesn't say, wait till Sunday so the preacher can build you up. What does it say? It says, build who? Build yourself up. You see, when you're in the dark valley, sometimes there's not anybody around to build you up. Sometimes that's our fault because we pushed them all away. And the Bible says, here's what we've got to do. We build ourselves up in the most holy faith. We preach to ourselves. We remind ourselves what God has done. See, I like what one person said. It's okay to sit on the pity potty every once in a while as long as you don't stay there long enough to get ring around the hiney. That's funny right there. I don't care. That's funny. Some of y'all got some ring around the honey because you've been sitting in the pity potty too long. Amen. You got to build yourself up. I think that's what, I think that's what uh, David was talking about in Psalm 23. Not the honey part, but... Look what he says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the darkest valley, look what he says. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they come for me. You, you know, David, David didn't know we were going to be reading this and preaching about this hundreds of years later. He, he wasn't talking to us. You know who he was talking to? He was talking to himself. What was he doing? He was preaching to himself. He was building himself up in his most holy faith. He was saying, even though I'm going through a dark valley right now, even though I'm going through a dark time, I'm going to remember that God is with me and that God is for me. And even though I might feel afraid, I'm not going to go by how I feel. I'm going to live by what I know. And what I know is that even when I'm afraid, God is with me. That even when I'm in the dark valley, that God has not abandoned me. I know that I've been in some dark valleys before and God God brought me through those dark valleys. And I know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he brought me through the valley then, he'll bring me through the valley now if I'll just put my trust in him. And he reminded his soul, even when I walk through the darkest of valleys, I will not fear because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they are here to comfort me. Got to remind your soul. Everybody say, remind your soul. Number two, check this out. This is so important. What do you do when you're in the dark valley? What do you do when you're discouraged or when you're depressed? The second thing you got to do is you got to refuel your soul. Look what happens. Look what Elijah did. Look what God did for Elijah when he was in that dark valley, sitting underneath that tree, having his pity party. Look what happens in 1 Kings 19 and verse 5. It says, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Look at this, get up and eat. Everybody say, get up and eat. 
And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And then he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Look, get up and eat some more. For the journey ahead of you will be, or the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. What, is, what does Elijah do? What does God do for Elijah when he is in that place of discouragement, when he is depressed? What is God's remedy for his depression? God's remedy for depression is to nourish his body. He says, get up and eat. See, Elijah was tired and he was malnourished and he was worn out from the long trip and the the difficult battles that he had been facing. And the angel gave him fuel for his body. Now, some of you, you're already like that. You're like, yeah, I'm depressed. I know that's what I do. I eat a whole gallon of ice cream, you know. When I'm depressed, I just eat comfort food, whatever. And that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about soul food. Everybody say soul food. You see, when you're depressed, when you're down, when you're in the dark valley, you know what you need? You need some nourishment, not for your body. You need some nourishment for your soul. See, here's what we tend to do whenever we are in the dark valley, when we're depressed, when we're tired, we're down, we don't want to get up out of bed. And we, we, we tend to feed ourselves on a bunch of junk food. We tend to, not just, not just physical food, but we just, you know, if I just veg out here, maybe that'll make me feel better. You know, I'll just have a, you know, a Netflix marathon of Gilmore Girls, and, you know, then I won't have to think about anything else. That's enough right there to, to make you depressed, I'm telling you. And, and we, 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 sold, we, we feed our soul with a bunch of junk food, and then we wonder why we stay discouraged and why we stay depressed. And here's the deal, is that we don't need junk food. What we need is we need soul food. So the next time you're in a dark valley, the next time you're discouraged or you're down, instead of reading another romance novel or instead of having a marathon of video games or Netflix, maybe you need to open up the Word of God and you need to begin to nourish your soul with good soul food, with the Word of God. When you're discouraged, you know what you need? You need the Word of God to nourish your soul. You don't need to shut everybody else out and put the blinds down and have a little pity party and just sit there and veg out. What you need is you need the Word of God to fill and to nourish and to refuel your soul. Maybe you need to Maybe you need to find some passages of Scripture that will encourage you. Maybe you need to put them on your phone. And every time you look at your phone, you put them on the screensaver, and there they are. Maybe you need to cut them out and put them on little little cards or little slips of paper. Maybe you need to tape them to the dashboard of your car. Maybe you need to put them up on the on the mirror or at, on your nightstand or on your refrigerator. And every time you're feeling, feeling discouraged, you want to go to the fridge. You go to the fridge, and you find soul food to nourish your soul, and you begin to meditate upon and memorize the word of God. In fact, I gave you just a few. Maybe these will help you. Psalm 34 and 17, it says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them, and he delivers them from all their troubles. Praise the Lord for some good food today. Psalm 40 and verse, 20, and verse 2 says that he lifted me up out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on the rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And he put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. In Psalm 3 and verse 3, it says, But you, Lord... 
are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. In Psalm 42 and verse 11, it says, Why is my soul so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm telling you, I'm feeding you some good soul food this morning. Maybe you need to write some of these down. Maybe you need to memorize some of these. Maybe you need to meditate on some of these. And when you're in the dark valleys, when you're in the dark times, you need to get up and eat so that you can have some nourishment and some fuel for your soul. Otherwise, you won't make it through the rest of the journey. Come on, I'm preaching better than y'all are. Amen. And y'all should help me a little bit. Here's what we're going to do is we're going to remind our soul. We're going to refuel our soul. Number three, this is so important. You got to refresh your soul. What do you do when you're in the dark valleys? You find a place of refreshing. Look at this in verse 5. Look what David says the shepherd does. It says, he anoints my head with oil. What does that mean? That seems like it's kind of out of place there. I really didn't understand that. So I started studying and I found a book that we've been kind of using as a guide for this series called The Shepherd's Perspective of the 23rd Psalm. And I, want you, I just want to read what it says. It says, Sheep are especially troubled by the nose fly or the nasal fly, as it's called sometimes. These little flies buzz around about the sheep's head, attempting to deposit their eggs in the sheep's nose. Kind of gross, I know. If they are successful, the eggs will hatch. They work their way up the nasal passages into the sheep's head, and they burrow into the flesh, and there set up an intense irritation accompanied by severe inflammation. For relief from the agonizing annoyance, sheep will deliberately beat their head against trees and rocks and posts or brush. They will rub them into the soil and thrash around against uh, the woody growth. In extreme cases of intense infestation, a sheep may even kill itself. Some sheep become frantic with fear and panic in their attempt to escape their tormentors. They will stamp their feet erratically and race from place to place in the pasture, trying, to deliberately, or trying deliberately to elude the flies. Some may run so much that they drop from, from sheer exhaustion. Others may toss their head up and down for hours at the very first sign of fly, but at the very first sign of flies among the flock, the shepherd will apply an oil which is smeared over the sheep's nose and head as a protection against the nose flies. What an incredible transformation that takes place. Once the oil had been applied to the sheep's head, there was an immediate change in behavior. The sheep start to feed quietly again and then soon lie down in peaceful contentment. I read that and I thought, you know, isn't that, isn't that what it is when we get into the dark valleys? It's just the little, the little annoyances that set us off. A little fly, harmless as a fly. And yet that little bitty fly can bring such devastation and destruction in the life of the sheep to the point where they flail around, run around, bang their head against the ground and against the trees to the point where they can even die from this little bitty annoyance. And isn't that the way it is in our life sometimes? Sometimes it's not the big things that get us. Sometimes it's the little things. The little things that drive us nuts. And we run around and we bang our heads against the wall and we flail around and bang our heads up and down to the point of exhaustion. 
But there's a loving shepherd that loves us so much that he doesn't want us to be exhausted. He doesn't want us to be tired and depressed and discouraged. And so what does he do? Just as a shepherd does, he takes the oil. He anoints our head with oil. You know, in the Bible, oil is symbolic. It represents the Holy Spirit. It represents the presence of God. And here's what we need. When we find ourselves in the dark valley, when we find ourselves that all the little bitty nitpicky things are driving us crazy and we're discouraged and we just want to lay down and be by ourselves and don't even want to get up out of bed, when we find our souls are in darkness, here's what we need more than anything else. We need the presence of God. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and begin to refresh our souls from the inside out. We need the presence of God to anoint our head with oil. In fact, that's what the scripture says in Psalm 16 and verse 9. It, David says, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body will also rest securely. Isn't that what we're talking about? Having rest for our bodies and our souls because you will not abandon me to the realm of death. Even though I walk through the valley of death, you are with me. You haven't abandoned me, nor will you let your faithful one see the decay for you have made known to me the path of life. Isn't that what we're saying? The path of righteousness, right? And, and then he says, and he says, you will fill me with what? With joy. Everybody say joy. You will fill me with joy. And how do you fill me with joy? Where do I find that joy? You will fill me with joy. What? In your presence. It's in the presence of God. It's through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's when the anointing is poured down upon our heads. It's in the presence of God. It's not in stuff. It's not in people. It's not in circumstances all being right and no problems in our lives that we find joy. The only place to find real soul joy, the only place to find refreshing for our soul is in the presence of God. It's in His presence. The oil of gladness the Bible talks about is poured upon our life. The Holy Spirit fills our life, the presence of God, and brings us that true inner joy. In fact, that's what James was talking about. I never put all this together, but I think that, that's exactly what James was talking about in James chapter 5, verse 13. Look what he says. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call upon the elders of the church. And look, look what it says to do. And pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. Here's what we're going to do this morning. Something a little different. Something that might seem a little strange or odd if you've never seen it before. Or maybe you come from... Maybe a church background that doesn't practice this, but I'll guarantee you this morning it's biblical. In fact, I looked up this verse in about eight or ten different translations to see if it maybe was saying something different. And every single time it said the exact same thing. If you're sick, if you're in trouble, if you're discouraged, if you're down, here's what you do. You, you call upon the elders of the church and you ask them to anoint you with oil. I thought, well, maybe that's symbolic and we're not supposed to. But everywhere I looked is... It's practical, something that we still do today, according to the Bible. I know it might sound weird, different, but here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, Drew's going to lead us, worship team's going to begin to lead us. And if you're here today and you're in a dark valley, you're in a dark place, 
you're in a struggle, you're in a trial, you're in a difficulty today, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just, in a minute, we're going to stand, and, I'm gonna, and we're just going to come, everybody come to the front. I got a little vial of oil. Some of you oily people here, you're excited about this today. I see all your posts on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Well, there really is power in the oil, and it's not, it's not physically the oil that's powerful, because I could have got some Crisco oil, and it would it'd be the same, because it's not the oil. What it is, it's what the oil represents, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. He anoints my head with oil, that even when I'm in a dark valley, even when I'm in a struggle, even when I'm in a trial, even when I don't think that I'm going to make it through even when it, even just the little stuff is just driving me crazy, he refreshes my soul. He anoints my head with oil. Surely goodness and love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the LifeGate Podcast. My name is Jason, and I am here with Pastor Chad Benson, the one and only, to kick off this week's <laughs> new podcast. How are you doing, Chad? Hey, man, I'm doing great. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. Hey, before we get started, do you have any extra jokes to share with us? I feel like you just have a, a whole bank there. You might as well pull a couple out. I'm, eyes on a roll today, yeah. I guess. I don't know. What's the deal no, I thought it, I thought it was great. Well, for those of you guys, those of you listening, uh, we're still in the Restore My Soul series, and so uh, you know we do this podcast. Ask Pastor Chad some questions, uh, maybe about some thoughts he's had since the sermon, and also I want to dig in a little bit deeper uh, just to ask some more questions. So, starting off, I really enjoyed today's uh, sermon. You, you kind of threw us off and saying you're going to teach us how to be depressed, um, <laughs> which was, I guess, why you threw in the humor. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, when you're, if you're going to talk about depression and dark valleys, I think you you need to have a little bit of humor to kind of comic relief, maybe just kind of lighten it up a little bit because it can be a really heavy subject and people definitely uh, go through those times and in no way would ever mean to uh, uh, take lightly what people experience with uh, depression and discouragement, things like that. It's very, a very real thing. And I understand mm-hmm. that. But I think sometimes it, it's good to kind of lighten the mood and and kind of uh, help people, you know, to uh, you want them to you want people to leave church feeling encouraged, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, feeling like a like a load has been uh, lifted. And so, yeah, I tried to add a little extra humor this week and, and make it uh, make it something that would be a little bit more palatable as there, as people are listening. Mm-hmm. So, no, and I think that's great. And and you gave us some st- statistics in terms of how many people are actually depressed. And I wrote it down here, but was it 10% or one out of 10 yeah. deal with d- depression? In yeah. The one out of 10. Yeah. yeah. And you made it, you made it, I guess it, you didn't make light of it at all because you made it very real. And I think a lot of people do struggle with that. And so you maybe open their eyes to that. Is that kind of the purpose behind really talking about it? Because I think maybe folks want to hide that or maybe don't want to realize that maybe we are depressed in some t- in certain situations. Yeah, I think so. And I think, like I said in the message, that the tendency uh, when you are depressed or when you are discouraged is to feel like you're the only one, uh, that everybody else's life's great and your life stinks. And it's to, sometimes it helps just to know I'm not the only one going through this. I mean, that's what Elijah even said. We talked about it in the message. I'm the only one here. And 
the Lord had to remind him, no, there's 7,000 others that still haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you're going through a struggle or a dark valley, dark time in your life that, uh, uh, you know, you're not the only one. You're not going through it alone. And uh, it's, you know, sadly, I hate that there are so many that struggle with that. Uh, but it's very real and you're not going through it by yourself. You yeah. Know? Do you think a large part of that is maybe due to our generation? You know, I was just thinking about Facebook right now and I know you've talked about that in past sermons, but we, it's kind of like the Facebook effect. We can look at the highlight of everybody's life and it just looks perfect. It looks like everything yeah. is so great in their life. And then you're looking at your own and going, wow, this blooper reel is uh, pretty bad. That's absolutely right. That's I, Somebody said that one time. They said, you know, that we look at everybody else's highlights while we see our own behind the scenes, you know, and uh, boy, it can it, we start comparing ourselves and our lives to others' lives. It can be, uh, it can really start to discourage us. And then not on, to on top of all of that, uh, even when it's not uh, an exterior thing, there's just... Uh, uh, people just deal with there's there's some uh, emotional struggles that that folks deal with and I don't want to make light of that at all because I know that it's very very real and that people truly do experience that at times and uh, you know I, I don't want to give like the simple shortcut answers either I know that right. that's easily the way that it kind of can come across when you're preaching a sermon and you are trying to preach a sermon that has some some helps and some tips and some kind of wrap it up in three points and stuff like that. But I also understand that there's far more to it than that mm -hmm. and that you're not going to, you're not going to fix some of those uh, issues, especially if it becomes a real deep depression that, mm -hmm. that folks may be dealing with. You can't fix that in a 40 minute sermon or in three points right. in a poem. And so, you know, there may be folks that even are dealing with that that need to get some, some help and need to see a counselor and need to process through some of those things. And some people have, gone through some things in their lives that are just, I can't even imagine what they've been through, you know, things that have happened in their childhood and all those kind of things. So I know that those are very, very, very real, you know, mm -hmm. and so we never make, never make light of that or, or try to take that lightly. But I also know that the Lord wants to help us yeah. uh, in those dark times and uh, he doesn't want us to stay in those dark times. And, you know, I know that also just like, just like Elijah that, uh, you know, you can be up one day and down the next and not even know what hit you. And so I felt like um, there was some some good practical stuff to help people kind of process through some of those things. But I, but it, it never takes the place of, especially if someone's really um, dealing with real deep depression, it never takes the place of, I think, of some counseling and, some, and getting some help there, too. And we'd love to help people uh, get that if they need it. So Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I don't... I think that the points you gave us were really, really great. And like you said, it's not in totality, but it's, it's some things that maybe God has promised us that promised us that we can really, I think, lean on that you shared. And I think that's, that's great. And I want to jump into one of my questions about, you said, what do we do, you know, when we are depressed? And one thing you said is remind your soul and don't forget what God has done. And you, I mean, it's incredibly powerful how you're talking about sometimes your best sermons are the ones you preach to yourself and you really, I mean, yeah. just walking through really the process of moving here and how God has provided in so many ways, uh, it really opened your eyes. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, what are ways that uh, us as a congregation or just folks in general can remember those things? Because I think sometimes it's easy to forget after a while. Mm -hmm. And so what are ways yeah. that you, you know, 
you keep record of that. So that way you can look back and say, you know, God really has been faithful um, throughout the time. Yeah. Well, I think you have to be intentional about those things. I, I think writing them down, I do uh, keep a journal. Um, I think sharing uh, those things. I mean, that's the Bible says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And sometimes sharing the things that God has done in our life just helps us. I know for me, one thing that helps is that once a month, you know, we have a new next class. And so that means that there are new members that are becoming part of the church. And so the first uh, Wednesday night of every month as I'm teaching that first week of the next class, I always share our story. And I'll tell you what, just uh, just going through that story again once a month, 12 times a year, that just helps to keep that in the in you know the forefront of my mind, mm-hmm. uh, and I think so. I think I'm just sharing with others what God has done, or even today. I mean, it was encouraging even to me today to even think through some of those stories of things that God has done over this past eight years. And uh, you know, I I know that it's it's so much easier to get caught up in where you're at right now and what's happening in your life right now. And uh, as the train goes by, <laughs> can you hear it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can. Yeah, but uh, I think I think it's easy to get caught up in what's happening right now, uh, and so sometimes it is good to look back and to remember. So I think writing it down, I think trying to share it regularly. Thanksgiving's mm-hmm. a great time to uh, to kind of it's an intentional. It's every year, so every year just maybe reflecting a little bit and thanking God for the things that He's done in your life and um just i think just ways to re- to to share that story sometimes i'll go back and read through some of my old journal entries and that definitely helps mm-hmm. no and i think as i'm thinking about it there have been times when god works my life and i will literally call somebody just right after it happens yeah. just to say you wouldn't believe what just happened and it's really yeah. cool how <laughs> that encourages them too you know and you don't know what kind of effect it has past them just like today you shared a lot with us really encouraged me. And who knows, you know, I may use that to encourage somebody else. So I think sometimes we forget too, that even after, right after something happens, we can just share it and who knows what will happen, where it'll go. Well, we do a thing in our staff meetings every single week we call celebration. It's the first thing we do after our prayer time. First thing we do is we go around the room and we celebrate things that have happened just that week or, or what's going on in the church. And uh, I try to get everybody on the staff. I kind of try to teach them that I want them to have a testimony in their back pocket is what I call it, mm-hmm. that that they have it with them at all times of something that's recent. That's uh, a story of something that's happened that represents the vision taking place in the church that represents someone's life being changed or some kind of progress towards people growing in the Lord. And so we'll spend 15, 20 minutes every single week during our staff meeting, just going around the room, sharing those things that have happened uh, this week that are that are signs or that the vision is is taking place. And what that does, it just keeps us when because we're going to, you know, in the staff meeting, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the things that need to happen, you know, or maybe talk about problems that are happening and how to fix them and all that kind of stuff. And so it helps to just start off the meeting by remembering uh, the things that God is doing, and it just kind of refocuses us on the vision and why we're there in the first place. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great. Well, to kind of to wrap up, I wanted to ask you, well, a couple more questions, but first was, uh, I'm not sure with the way the podcast is going to be edited, if the end of the sermon is going to be uh, caught in there where you, you anointed everyone, and you talked about it in regards to the sheep, how the shepherd would, would anoint or rub the oil on uh, the sheep's nose with uh, what was it called? What kind of fly was it? Was it a nose fly? 
Uh, nasal fly, nasal yeah, fly. Or nose fly. Yeah. So can yeah. you talk more about, you know, for those that are listening, didn't have a chance to go, um, you know, Pastor Chad anointed us uh, at the end as we gathered to the front. And can you talk more about uh, what that's what that means biblically and, and, and why we did that as a church? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I was a little afraid that people might think that was weird or strange, but it is very biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, several places in the Bible where it where it mentions uh, being anointed with oil. Um, that's what they would do when they uh, when they would get a new king. They would use oil to anoint the king, you know, and it actually talked about how they poured the oil over the king's head and it ran down onto his beard, down onto his onto his robe. And uh, then, of course, you know, the 23rd Psalm, which we've been studying, says he anoints my head with oil. Um, In James 5, which we talked about in the message, it says that if anyone's sick or in trouble or in need, to call upon the elders of the church and let them anoint uh, anoint them with oil. And I really studied that in several different translations because I, you know, I wanted to really make sure that that's very, that's literally exactly what the Bible is saying to do, that it's not just figurative. And it really is very literal that that's what the Bible is saying to do is to use oil to anoint. Of course, there's nothing at all that is special or magical about the oil itself. In fact, it's just a, just any, like we could have used any old oil and that would have, it have been <laughs> fine, Crisco. you know, could have get some Crisco or whatever. Uh, there's not this, it's not, uh, the oil that's magical and it's not even a magical thing, but it's, but the oil represents the Holy spirit as you, uh, as you study the Bible, almost everywhere where it talked about an oil, uh, an oil or anointing of, uh, the oil represented the presence of God or represented the Holy spirit. And so when the, when they would pour the oil over the King's head, or when the when you know they would an el- elder of the church would anoint someone with oil, it was representing the Holy Spirit being poured out upon that person, or the presence of God uh, being poured out upon that person. And so we just you know without being we didn't want anything it to be uncomfortable or weird for anybody, but uh, just walked around and I had a little vial of anointing oil and just put a little dab on my finger and went around and prayed for for everyone uh, as they came to the front and as we worshipped together and really was just kind of in a symbolic way saying we just need sometimes the way to find joy is just to get into the presence of God. And sometimes when you're in the presence of God, um, all the fear and all the other stuff that's going on around you tends to kind of subside because you're in the presence of the shepherd, you know, and uh, it wasn't about me or it wasn't about the oil itself. It was about the presence of God. And I was very, pleased to see how people responded, uh, people with their hands raised, worshiping the Lord. I saw lots of tears uh, flowing down. I just saw God working in people's lives this morning. Um, uh, his presence was was definitely there in both services. And uh, so, you know, I think uh, sometimes that just kind of getting out of what is comfortable for us and, and just doing what the Bible says to do, it's amazing how... <laughs> How uh, when we just take the the Bible literally and we just uh, we just live it out, it it really is impactful and it is powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think that's I think that's great. Um, well, lastly, you know, what are you excited about this upcoming week? And then also, can you share with us what the uh, the next series or not the next series, but the next sermon will be about for this series? Yeah, um, I'm excited about Thanksgiving, excited about some time off and some time with family. And uh, so we'll go to, uh, we'll do family time with my parents on Wednesday, and then we'll go out to uh, West Texas to Midland to uh, Amber's family on Thursday and be out there for a couple of days, come back probably Saturday. 
and uh, then be back together this next week. We'll have a combined Thanksgiving service all at 11 o'clock, and we just get everybody together. It's always an exciting time, and we'll have a special time of worship, and then uh, wrap up this series. We're going to be talking about uh, the enemy of our soul, that uh, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy, and what does that mean, and uh, what? Uh, how do we overcome the enemy of our soul, and how do we overcome... Uh, the struggles that come along with walking on the right path. And so I think it's going to be a good way to wrap up the series and uh, excited about that time. I always like the, the Thanksgiving uh, week when we combine the two services and everybody joins together. It's always a fun time. Awesome. Hey, and I don't know if you notice this, I like your, uh, your subtle marketing because in the front uh, entryway that's still under construction, you had some toilets in there. And were you tying that into your, your, your pity pot message or? Yeah, that's right. I think that I'm going to, I'm going to have a hard time living that one down, yeah. but I like it. I thought it was funny. I'm going to quote that, put it on the LifeGate page. No, I think it was great. And walking out, I saw the toilets in there. I was like, that's why they're in there. So I appreciate that's you, right. you tying that's that right. in today. Uh, well, for well those... hopefully that'll be all finished up soon. So now it's looking good. It's looking really great. I'm looking forward to when it's finished. That'll be good. Uh, Amen. Well, for those of you listening, thank you for taking the time to tune in to this week's podcast. If you're new to LifeGate or haven't heard of us before, please be sure to visit our website at LifeGateBurleson.com for our address, service times, and upcoming events. Again, that's LifeGateBurleson.com. And just a friendly reminder, reminder, next week we only have service at 11 a.m. Again, that's one service at 11 a.m. So thank you again for taking the time to tune in with us today. And thank you, Chad, for taking the time to talk with us a little more. You bet. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.